In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that, might, that they might believe through him. He was not the light, he, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and the world was not in him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people, and they did not receive him. But to all who do, did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and it dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he who I am said. He whom comes after the ranks before me, he who is before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace, came, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the Holy One, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this opportunity we have to start the new year focused on you. Lord, we thank you for coming down in the form of a man. Lord, living a perfect life that we couldn't live, taking on our sin and our shame and taking it to the cross. Lord, we thank you for how your word is true for us today. Lord, help us see you clearly. And all God's people said. Well, good morning. I hope that you guys have had a good Christmas and are going to have a happy new year. Um, I was able to spend time with my family in Texas uh, this past week, and it was awesome that my flights didn't get canceled and I was get, able to get there safely. You guys probably heard about a lot of craziness that was going on. But if you've been with us this past in the past, you know that our mission is to love God, love people, and serve all. We talk about that all the time, and these things aren't going to change, right? And we do believe, we have it up here, that hope changes everything. We believe that the hope of Jesus actually can change your life, your situations, your relationships, your, your, the people you pour into, those things. And none of this is going to change as we enter into this next year, but we are going to be talking about what it looks like to be focused on Jesus as we grow. It seems simple, right? It's a simple goal that you might have is to read your Bible more, to pursue a life with Jesus. And it's our goal to focus on Jesus this year as we grow. Because we truly believe that if we focus on the life, the ministry, the heart, the person of Jesus, that we will grow. Dee mentioned that the Quest 52 book um, is what we're going to be using as our guide this year. I'm super excited about that. I hope that you grab a copy of that and give a copy to a friend. It actually has a 15-minute devotional each day that you'll be able to go through. So make sure you check that out. If you're not a reader, this is me, right? I am not a huge reader. I read if I have to. That's just one of the things that I do. Um, but there are videos for every single chapter, five-minute clips for every single chapter, um, and it will help you attach God's word, his truth, to your life and what that looks like for you. And so I encourage you to join us as we enter into this journey, um, this quest to find Jesus this year. I'm excited not only for our church family, for our students here at FCC, but also for myself. Because I know that the closer I get to Jesus, 
The more focused I am on him, the better son, the better brother, the better friend, the better coach, the better coworker, and the better pastor I become. And the same is true for you. The more focused you are on Jesus, the better you will become. And I want to make the case this morning that the right lens allows you to focus on the right things. The right lens allows you to focus on the right things. If you have glasses or contacts, you understand this to be true. Um, the right lens allows you to see clearly, to focus. Right? Many of you know this to be true about me. The past couple months have been crazy. I've had two eye surgeries that are kind of out of the blue. I went to the eye doctor for a normal checkup, and they said that I had two torn retinas in my eyes. They don't know where it came from. And what that means is that I need surgery because if I don't have surgery, I go blind. Right? Big deal, um, but all things are taken care of. I had the surgeries. We're all good. I can see clearly now. Um, but one thing that I learned during this whole time of having blurry vision and all, this, all these things is that looking through the right lens allows you to see the right things. Because I needed two eye surgeries, I couldn't do them both at the same time because then I would just be, uh, you know, blind. But so what they did was they did one eye, I let the other one heal for a couple of months, and then I did the other eye. And during that time of waiting, I couldn't get a new prescription, right? So I would have one eye that was strong, the other eye that was weak, and when I did both of them, they were both weak. And I remember from mid-September through mid-November, I didn't have clear vision. I remember I shouldn't have been driving, most likely. If you guys want to hear some fun stories, I'm sure I, I know there's one, at least one time I ran a stop sign. Um, so talk to me after where I'll tell you about that, right? So I don't recommend having two eye surgeries and then driving, but, you know, it is what it is. It's Greenville, right? You're only going from one, one end of town to the other. So um, I remember this, too, walking into church and seeing some of you guys and Maybe you were waving or maybe you were not, and so I would see you from afar, and I would probably just wave just to make sure, right? I remember going to youth group and playing basketball, and I couldn't see the rim. So it's just like kids are probably getting hit with air balls. Um, so, I, like, all these things are happening. I remember sitting in my desk and trying to write sermons and do things for youth group, and my eyes, I just couldn't focus. I had to take a step aside. I had to take rest, right? And it was in this time where I was, became frustrated with my lack of vision. And it wasn't until I was fully healed and got the right prescription that I could focus on the right things. And I don't know what you've been focusing on this past year. I don't know what lens or picture you have of Jesus. But what I do know is that when you focus on the right things, when you focus on Jesus and allow God's word to be the lens in which you see him, that your life will be changed. Amen. John 1 through 18 it's our text for today, and it's probably one of the most rich, theologically rich passages in the New Testament, but it's also one of the most beautiful texts poetically. And it's in John's gospel, though it is um, theologically rich, it's a, he is gifted with this idea or this gift of being able to take these small words who carry deep theological truths. You've probably heard some of these if you've read through the book of John before. In our passage, we're going to see the word, we're going to see light. We're going to see life. Maybe you've, you've heard in, in other passages that Jesus is the bread of life. He takes this idea of bread and he attaches deep theological truth to it. There's a contrast between light, dark, life, and light. And he uses these small words to carry deep theological truths. And one thing that's been helpful for me kind of understanding the differences between the Gospels is going to be here on the screen for you. We have Matthew which is concerned about what was fulfilled in Christ. And so it's all about what Jesus said. 
Uh, we also have the Gospel of Mark, which is this fast-paced gospel that uses the word immediately a lot. And so that is all about what Jesus did. Luke is a gospel that is concerned about Jesus' humanity. We hear this phrase, Son of God, often. And so it's all about how Jesus felt and John, the gospel we're going to be in today is the most unique. It's poetic. It talks about these signs and these wonders, and it's all about who Jesus is. What a good question. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is, is God Jesus? Why did God have to come down in the form of a man? Couldn't he just snap his fingers and make everything right? I have two things for you this morning. One's an invitation, and the second thing is a challenge. I want to invite you to focus on Jesus this year. I want to invite you this morning, no matter where you are in your faith, to consider this question, is God Jesus, with no presuppositions, to lay everything down that you think you know or that you do know about Jesus and to start fresh. Because I truly believe if you use Jesus, if you look at Jesus in his scriptures, that you will see God clearly. The second thing is a challenge. I want to challenge you this year to think theologically. That's a big churchy word, and so I want to simplify it for you. Theology is simply how you see God, or even simpler, how you describe him. And so as Christians, we are theologians. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a theologian? God, no, it's awkward. Just do it. Tell your neighbor they're a theologian. I truly believe that if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to to know what you believe about God. You have to know how to describe him. And how do we know how to describe him? We look at his word. And so I want to challenge you this year to dive into not only just this text, but as we, we, we enter into this book and find all, all these things that we see and know to be true about Jesus, that you develop your own theology and how you describe God based on what God's word says about Jesus. Many of us have weak theology because we don't know what God's word says. Right, maybe this year's a change for you. Maybe instead of failing your plan in February, you're like, I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to spend 15 minutes in God's word every day. Maybe that's true for you. I want it to be true for you. So let's do this together. And so open your Bibles, John 1, 1 through 18, if you're not there, presents us with the question, who is Jesus? And our Quest 52 book flips this question of, is Jesus God, which we've probably heard before. And he says, is God Jesus? And it's interesting. Mark Moore makes a claim that because it's, it's because of Jesus, it's through Jesus that we get the clearest picture of who God is. Amen. We're not going to get to everything this morning, and so I want to go through three truths that we see to be true in this passage. The first being that Jesus is creator. Verse 1 through 5 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's a lot going on here. This passage kind of bounces around, repeats itself often. But we see a couple things that are going on here. The first and most obvious is there's an allusion to Genesis 1. And so if you want to flip your Bibles there, you can, you can look there while I'm talking about it. But God has ten things that he creates simply by speaking. There's a word that is spoken and things come to life. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be water. Let there be man. Right, all these things that God has the power and authority to speak, and it happens. 
And here in our passage is the first place where uh, the, the word or the title creator is attached to another name that isn't Yahweh. And that's interesting. John's claim is that Jesus was with God in the beginning, but not only was he with him, he is him. This is a huge claim for Jewish people, right? As we enter the text, we don't understand this because we're, we're reading it through American lens, Western eyes. We have to enter into this text and read it with Eastern eyes, meaning we have to see it for how the Jewish people saw this. This claim to be God is blasphemy. This claim that Jesus, this, this man, carries the same characteristics of God, such as creator, is blasphemy. And so it's radical but it's also supported all throughout, the, all throughout the New Testament. If you look at these passages, they'll be on the screen for you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that for, there, for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and from whom we exist, from one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and, and through whom we exist. Colossians 2 says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's talking about Jesus. Hebrews 1, 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And lastly, John says, I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, speaking about Jesus. And so we see in the first two verses that Jesus is creator. We also see that this word is attached to him. So Jesus is actually called word. What does that mean? Right? It's this word logos, and we're not going to spend too much time here, but it, I would encourage you to go to quest52.com. There's some great resources that break down the history of this word. But to kind of give you a Cliff Notes version of this, the meaning of logos has changed over time. It started with Plato, then the Stoics attached their own definition to it, and then these mystery cults, and then phileo. And John is taking all these big names in the theological world and he's defining this word and attaching it to Jesus. He takes it a step further. John's claim, along with the rest of the New Testament, is that Jesus fully embodies God in the flesh. And this is Jesus. Jesus is God. Mark's claim in the book, and I think it's spot on, is that Jesus isn't just God, but God is Jesus. That the major characteristics we attach to God come because we know Jesus. And so I want to do a little activity with you. This is in the first book. And so I want to ask you a question. The question is going to be here on the screen for you. And I don't want you to do this with anyone else. I want you to think about this in your mind. What characteristics come to mind when you think about God? I'll give you 27 seconds. Just kidding. I'm going to give you a little less than that. But what are some uh, characteristics you think when you think about God? And just go ahead and throw them out to me. I just want to hear from you. Sovereign, okay, sovereign, that's good. Eternal. What was that? Peace. Holy. Power. Keep them coming. What's that? Love, good. Right, caring, good. And so as you guys are hearing some of these characteristics, some of the other ones you might have said is maybe it's a God who suffers, right? That's a, that's a term or a characteristic that is unique to Christianity. And Mark Moore, he lays out three things that are unique to Christianity. And he's getting us to think about, hey, if we took all these characteristics that we know to be true about God and we removed all the ones that we only know because of the person of Jesus, that list becomes very small. 
And so we see that these three things, one of the main ones that are unique to Christianity is that God is a God who suffers. We see this in the passage that D read in Isaiah 53. We see this in um, Zechariah 12.10, that God is pierced. It's this idea of why would a God suffer for us? We also see that God is love, that he has compassion, that Jesus says to love your enemies, which was never heard of, and that God is near, that the God of the universe actually wants a personal relationship with you. So we see these three things, all right, that if we remove Jesus from them, then it gives us a blurred vision of who God is. Mark Moore explores this more in the first chapter, but his point is this, that Jesus is the lens in which we not only can see God clearly, but we know him personally. Jesus is the lens in which we not only can see God clearly, but we can know him personally. And so our first truth is about God's character is that Jesus is creator. If you look at verses 4 through 5, this then refers to Jesus as the life and the light and how the darkness cannot overcome him. We're going to talk a little bit about this later. But the point is that we're moving from Genesis, this idea of creation in Jesus, and we're going to go into Exodus, this idea that Jesus now dwells with us in the tabernacle. It's a beautiful picture of what John is trying to do here. And I know that's a lot, and so take a deep breath. If your neighbor's sleeping, tap him on the shoulder, because we're going we're gonna to go through the next two points, and it's going to be great. All right. So in addition to Jesus being creator, Jesus is also here. Verse 10 through 11. He was in the world, and the world was through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And then jumping to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as a son, only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verses 6 through 9, we kind of jumped over, but that's just saying that John the Baptist is the one who talked about and promised that this Messiah would come. And John is doing something beautiful here, which I wish we could spend the rest of our time looking at. If you want to throw that next slide up there, what John is doing is he is creating a chiastic structure for us. If you guys have ever written poetry or are familiar with literature, this is a literary device that highlights a truth in the middle of the passage. And so if you look in your Bibles, you see that verse 1 and 2 match with verse 18. Verse 3 and 5 match with 16 through 17, so on and so forth, until we get to the passage, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I wanted to point this out because you see in our text, we're looking at verses 10 and 11, and they connect with verse 14. And it highlights this truth that God came down in the form of a man. God came down in human flesh. We see that through Jesus, he was in the world, but people rejected him. They despised him. We also see that Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is a big deal because we're moving from Genesis, creation, that in the beginning was the word. And we're moving to Exodus, the tabernacle. This word for dwell means tent. And in the Old Testament, the spirit of God would dwell in this tent. God's spirit would move with them in the Exodus. And so we're seeing that John is saying, hey, he's creator, but he's also near. He's present with us today. He's living in us and through us. And what John is trying to get us to see is that God is Jesus and that Jesus is the promised Messiah who is here. 
that God actually took on human flesh. Our English word for this is incarnation, which means it's actually a Latin term, which means meat or flesh. If you guys go to Los Amigos this afternoon and you ask for carne, it's going to be meat. They're going to bring you beef, right? And so it's meaning that Jesus is the God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Why did this have to happen? Why did God have to take on human flesh? Isn't he all-powerful? Couldn't he just make things right with a snap of his finger? Mark Moore states that the incarnation is a logical necessity for us to know God. Let me explain. There's a story that I've heard, um, and I heard it a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if it's a true story or if it's a fake story, but there was a man who didn't want to go to church, right? How many of you guys have been there, right? Just be honest. Raise your hand, right? You you woke up one morning, you're like, I'm not feeling it today, okay? And he had a wife who always was going to church, and she would always ask her husband, hey, come to church with me, come to church with me. And this one Christmas Eve, this woman asked her husband, hey, will you please come to church with me? It's Christmas Eve. Um, I really don't want to go out by myself. And she's making her case, and he refuses. And so she decides to go by herself, and he stayed home, and this blizzard came through their hometown. Now, they, they lived on this big farm, and this guy was a farmer, and what they had was in their living room, they had this big window, a huge window from the top to the bottom. And what they would do is they'd sit there, and it was beautiful when the sun rose up in the morning, they could see the sunrise, all those things. But during this storm, what was happening was these sparrows were flying in a flock, and they were trying to get somewhere warm, and they would go, and they'd fly full speed, and they'd hit right into that window. Time and time again, they would follow each other, Boom, 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 knocking themselves out on the window. They're bleeding, they're bruised, they're battered. And this farmer, being a caretaker of the land, he hurts for these sparrows. He's like, man, I got I to gotta go do something. I got I to gotta meet them where they are. I have, to, I have to get them to safety. And so what he does is he thinks about what he can do. And he goes out and he has a barn off in the distance and he decides, hey, maybe I can get around these birds and kind of push them into the barn so that they can get warm, so that they can live. But every time he goes out to push these birds into the barn, they just fly away. They're scared. They don't understand that he's trying to help them. He's thinking, man, if I was just a sparrow, if I was just a sparrow, I could get them to safety. I could get them into the barn. I don't know if this is a real story, but the point is clear. That as we look for God, as we're, look, as we're looking in the dark, we're stuck in a storm, we're battered, we're bruised, we're in need of a Savior. And the truth is that God had to become us to save us. And that gives us value. That gives us purpose. Jesus isn't only creator. He isn't only here. He's also clear. We see in verse 12 through 13, this is the truth I want you guys to take away today. This is what God's word says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Like I mentioned earlier, this truth is in the middle of this chiastic structure. And I love how clear it is. For all who believe in Jesus... They have the right to become children of God. Not born of flesh, but born of God. Do you hear that this morning? The right lens allows you to focus on the right things. Jesus is a lens in which we can see God clearly. 
Jesus is the lens that if we look through him, if we focus on him, that we can know God as Father. What a beautiful gift. Out of everything we've learned this morning, I pray and hope you hear this truth and allow it to change your heart this year, that you are a child of God, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, not by works or anything you do or don't do or fail to do, but because of his grace. If you put your faith in him, you will be accepted, you will be adopted into his family. That's the gospel. God came down so we could live, not only to live, but to have life to the full. Friends, Jesus is creator. He's here, and he is clear. And we allow our theology to be defined by God's word, then we can focus on what truly matters, which is living like Jesus. And so I want to give you a quick thing to remember this week as you grab a book, because I know you're going to grab a book when you leave today. You're going to grab a book. You're going to write down your, your plan to focus on Jesus this year. Here are three things that are going to help you focus on Jesus. We have to first read, right? Not only read um, this Core 52 book, which will be very helpful. The chapters are actually pretty short. I think they're four to five pages. But more importantly, reading God's word. Reading God's word every day for 15 minutes is this quest to be focused on Jesus. I challenge you to grab your partner, grab your, your wife or your husband and do this together with your families. I think that you guys, if you pursue Jesus this year, you will start to see God more clearly. And so it starts with reading his word. The second thing is to reflect. Not only can we just read God's word, but we have to reflect on what God is trying to say to us. And so write some things down. Pray these truths over your life. Ask God to show him to you clearly. All right, there's a passage in James that talks about if we read God's word and we, we, and we don't do what it says, it's like a man looking in the mirror and turning around and forgetting what he looks like. We don't want to be like that. So we have to read, reflect, and lastly respond. That's simply what is God calling you to do based on what you've learned. So if we want to be focused on Jesus, if we want to live like him, we must read, reflect, and respond. As I close this morning, there's a passage that is a familiar story in John chapter 9, and it's known as the sixth sign or miracle of Jesus. The band, you can come on up. Um, John 9, Jesus has been making these claims about himself that, that are getting him in trouble with these Pharisees and these scribes. And in the middle of this... Jesus was passing by where the text says he saw a man that was born blind. It's in this moment where the disciples ask him a question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now this was common back then for a generational sin to bear its consequences in the next generation. But anyways, Jesus answers them straight up, which he doesn't do often in the Gospels. But Jesus answers them straight up and he says, neither this man nor this parent's sin. This came down, this happened about so that God's work could be displayed in him. Jesus makes this claim for the second time here that he is the light of the world. We see in our passage in John that he is preluding to this. He's saying Jesus is the light. We see here Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world. Long story short, Jesus does something that's kind of weird. He mixes dirt and his saliva. He rubs it on this guy's eyes and he is healed in instantly. This man didn't ask to be healed. He couldn't even see Jesus. Who knows if he even knew who Jesus was. But the text says Jesus saw him and he healed him. This man 
who can now see. He stands up in front of these Pharisees and tells them, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. This is referring to Jesus. But one thing I do know, that I was blind and I can see. I love how this passage ends, and this is Jesus' encounter with this man after he's been healed, and he stood up to these Pharisees. He says this, Jesus heard that they had casted him out, and they had having favor on him, he's talking to the man he just healed. Do you believe that I am the son of man? He answered, who is this, sir, that I may believe? He said to him, you have seen him, and he is the one who is speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who, may, who see may become blind. Friends, I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know what you've been focusing on this past year. I don't know what you've been through, the things that have happened, the people that you've lost. But what I do know is that God took on human flesh so that you could see. That he took on human flesh so that you could know God, not only know him, but be adopted by him. To be called his son, to be called his daughter. He took on human flesh so that your brokenness, your sin, your shame could be washed away. He took on human flesh so that you could have peace with God forever. It's through Jesus that we get the clearest picture of who God is. It's when we have the right lens that we can see the right things. And the only person who matters Jesus. The question that you have to wrestle with this week that I can't answer for you is, is it worth it to focus on Jesus this year? Is it worth all your time, all your energy, all your attention? Because the reality is, no matter where we are headed as a church, if you don't feel like focusing on Jesus is worth it to you, then you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be burned out. And I don't want that for you. Will you join us in this quest to find Jesus this year? Will you look through the right lens and focus on the right things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the word that made that came to earth. Lord, thank you for living the life we couldn't live. Lord, thank you for giving us sight when we can't see. Lord, thank you for being our light of the world. That when we lean into, Lord, you give us direction, you give us peace. Lord, I pray for families in this room, Lord, who've been through a lot, who have lost loved ones, Lord, who are hurting, who are broken, who feel like there's not a way out. Lord, I just pray that this year is a year to remember that your spirit, that your, um, your spirit intercedes in their life, Lord, and, and shows them what it looks like to trust you, to live a life that is fashioned after your son because it's when we do that Lord that we can see Lord we love you and we praise you all God's people say Amen